the short answer, and you know I'm not going to just give you the short answer, uh, but the short answer is that yes, like this is this is that base building period. Dizruns Radio episode 1051 starts in three, two. Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. You ask... I answer. We do that each and every month on the last Friday of the month. And as this episode goes out, guess what day it is? It's the last Friday of May 2022. Today's episode is dedicated to your questions, my answers, hopefully a little bit of fun, maybe a little bit of useful content to be determined. We'll see. We'll see how it goes as we work through today's list of questions. But uh, welcome to episode 1051, the May 2022 listener Q&A. If you're new around these parts, like I said, we do this at the end of each month. The last Friday of every month is dedicated to your questions, my answers, and uh, the way to get your questions submitted to be answered on the show. It's real simple. Come over and join the uh, the party, the shenanigans, as it were, in the Facebook group, which you can get to by pointing your browser to disruns.com slash Facebook or The next time you're mindlessly scrolling through Facebook and trying not to get caught up in all the nonsense that happens there, just hitting that little search bar, Diz Runs Tribe, ask to join, we'll let you in. Uh, And I like to think we keep it pretty, pretty, pretty fun, pretty upbeat, pretty neutral. Uh, Just a good place to come and hang out and chit chat with other runners and and talk a little smack once in a while. Good natured, of course. Um, But to get your questions answered, maybe get a little motivation, create some friendships, all, all the things happen in the Facebook group. And uh, somewhere in the middle of the month, I always put a post out that says, what are your questions for this month? Then you leave your questions in the comments. Bada boom, bada bam. Here we go. If you're not on Facebook, and I don't blame you for not being on Facebook, you can always send an email or a DM or whatever uh, on, on other platforms to uh, to with your questions. And I'll do my best to make sure they get entered. I, I'm pretty good, but I will say I've had questions slip through the cracks because, you know, like I said, if you're not on Facebook, hey, here's a here's a, t- a tweet, a DM, an email, whatever. I'll try to make sure they get in the episode as well. But if you join the Facebook group, if you're on Facebook, come join us on Facebook, disruns.com slash Facebook, and uh, then you can you can join the party of people that uh, chip in questions, some every month, some here and there. You know, it, it comes as it goes, uh, but we always look forward to these. At least I always look forward to these episodes. I don't know if you do. Do you look forward to me rambling on and yammering on for you know upwards of two hours sometimes answering questions? Hopefully you do. I feel like you might because these episodes tend to be the most listened to episodes. Not that I look at the numbers, but I sometimes look at the numbers. But anyway, enough of my nonsense. You're going to get more of it for the next you know however long, hour and a half, or however long this episode goes. So let's at least answer some questions as we go, shall we? So uh, first question coming from Chris. How does one appropriately celebrate the first race back after 28 months of recovery and rehab? Um, Chris, we are about to find out how you're going to celebrate your uh, first race back after over two years of being injured and surgeries and this and that and the other. And uh, anybody who's been part of the group, you've seen Chris's posts. You know how much of a struggle it's been. 
and uh, she's 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 in taper mode for a half marathon uh, covered bridges run in the first weekend in uh, in in June, right? So it's next weekend as this episode comes out, at least. And uh, I feel like any and every and all celebrations are on the table. Like whatever, what, however you would celebrate. If it's eating all the things, if it's drinking all the things, if it's eating and drinking all the things, if it's you know doing something like I I don't know whatever sounds like a good celebration to you. Um, if it's going to a movie or or whatever, like I don't I, I, going to a movie would not be a celebration to me. But to to each their own. You do you, Chris. Um, but yeah, I mean, happy tears are probably on the table. Um, all the things, all literally all the things like there's nothing that I would say, no, like, don't do that. Like anything and everything that you feel like doing to celebrate being back, running a race, finishing a race. Um, oh man, it's going to be, it's going to be a party. It's going to be a party. Um, and I'm super excited for you. And, and I know I'm speaking for a lot of folks who say that, uh, or who would agree with, you know, just, just the fact that, that your perseverance, your dedication to get through this whole situation that has been going on for over two years now, um, is nothing short of encouraging and inspiring. And, uh, I know I'm proud of you. I know, I know lots of folks are, are proud of you and are cheering for you and, and we'll be celebrating with you in our own little ways. But my friend, you, you do it big, you do it big, blow it out. Um, because you, you, you've earned it. You have, you have earned it. I, I hate to say, I, I, it always irks me when people say, oh, you deserve this. You deserve that. Um, because I don't know that we really, I, I, I just struggle with that, that, that deserving thing ugh, that doesn't sit right with me. Um, but you deserve whatever celebrations you feel like you want. Um, because to m- most of us, myself included would have thrown in the towel well before now, yet you're about to cross that finish line uh, in, in another week or so. So get out there, get after it, have fun and celebrate in all the ways, in all the ways. Thank you for the question, lady. And, uh, job. I mean, the job's not done yet, but the hard part of all the rehabs and stuff that, and that's not done either, but job done to this point. Keep on keeping on. Next question from Santina is I steadily run my miles before we start the next marathon training cycle. Is this considered base building or if not, what is base building? So Great question, Santina, and, and and I apologize that I haven't made this more clear, or or at least delineated more clearly my thoughts on on the base. But yes, I mean the short answer, and you know I'm not going to just give you the short answer, uh, but the short answer is that yes, like this is this is that base building period. Um, I kind of look at anything between focused training cycles as base building, but but I also kind of look at almost all training is base building, at least all easy training. And, and most of y'all know that I'm, I'm all in on this easy training stuff, this heart rate training stuff, uh, running, running easy, racing fast. Um, when you're, when you're running at a comfortable level, you know, in, in that aerobic zone, um, however you want to classify that, if you want it under a math or zone two or whatever details are details. But if you're running easy to me, you're building your base. Like that's what, that's what running easy is all about. When you're pushing a hard workout here or there, that's that's a little bit less base building. Um, certainly, you know when you're hammered on race day, that's definitely not base building. But that that easy stuff that just that just firms up the foundation. I mean, that's that's base building. So I kind of look at base building as like 
a 365 thing or maybe not quite a 365 thing, but certainly like, like I, I personally am never out of a base building phase. Now I might be in a buildup for a race, but I, I hope, and my goals when I'm doing that are that I'm still, as I'm building up for the race, I'm also building up my base by running easy. Most of the time, keeping things, keeping things simple. So, so yes, you are, you are definitely in, I I would say that no matter who is, is coming up with the definition of base building here, whether it's me who says base building is kind of an all the time thing, or whether it's somebody else who's like, yeah, no, base building is what happens between training cycles. Like you're base building either way, no matter, no matter how you're you're slicing it, you're going to be base building. Um, but, but to the second part of your question, you know, what is base building to me? It's all the, it's all the easy miles you put in. It's the easy three on a Tuesday. It's the easy 10 or 12 or 15 or 18 or however much you go on the, on the weekend. Um, it's the easy time doing cross training, like, like all of that stuff. That's just kind of like, I mean, it's foundational, right. And foundation base, uh, those, those are the things that, that race performances and hard workouts are built upon. So to me, it's base building. The majority of the time is the best thing you can do to, to move forward in this, in this sport. But yes, again, long winded way of, of getting back to my short answer. You're definitely in the base building phase, but you're kind of also almost always in the base building phase, but, uh, you, you, you know, keep on keeping on lady, uh, looking forward to the, the, the fall marathons. I know you got, uh, Berlin on the, on the, on the docket, which is an exciting one. Um, not just because it's a major, but it's homecoming for you. Um, so yeah, let's get that base good and strong. And then we'll, you know, start ramping up as, uh, as fall gets a little bit closer, but thank you for the question. Next question from Kenton. Why can Achilles tendons be so stubborn? Whoo, that's, that's a loaded question. If ever there was one, uh, and I'm assuming there's some type of, of little niggle going on. That's, uh, that, that's, that's maybe supporting this question. Um, if so, hope, hope you're able to heal up quickly. My friend, uh, Lord knows I, that I'm, I'm being reminded at the moment, uh, how, how much it stinks to not be able to run or be in pain while you're running. Um, and, and yeah, the Achilles tendon to, to me, the, the, the Achilles tendon and, and by, to me, I mean, you know, kind of, kind of to me, but also kind of, you know, science. Um, but, but I think the, 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 stu- the stubbornness, if I can get my words out of my mouth here, I think the stubbornness of the Achilles tendon is one of those blessing and curse scenarios. Uh, because like our Achilles tendon is, is stupid strong, like stupid strong. I, I, I feel like I've seen places before and I, I don't know. I mean, did they test, how did they test this? I don't know that they tested this. Uh, but the, but the, you know, that say that like an Achilles tendon can lift a small car, like just the tensile strength that the, that the tendon has. Um, so however you want to slice it, like whether or not that's, that's completely true. I, you know, I don't know. I'm not here to say it is or it isn't. Um, but it's strong. Like the amount of force, the amount of, of tension that, that, that it can sustain and continue to function and no factor, um, is ridiculous. So that's the blessing of the stubbornness of the, of the Achilles tendon. And that when it's working well, it takes a licking, it keeps on ticking. Like, like it's, it's kind of mind boggling when you think of how much pressure, especially during a run, during a long run, how much, how much force that the tendon transfers and, and the work that it does, it's, it's bananas. The curse side of the stubbornness and the strength of the Achilles tendon is that when you do get a niggle, when you get some type of itis, when you get something that's wrong back there, um, 
it can take a while to to resolve because because there's so much force that that it's that it's under all the time. I mean, just standing, not that just standing puts tons of force on your Achilles tendon, but it's in a it's in a stretched position or it's in at least a, a taut position, maybe not a fully stretched position, but it's not relaxed when you're standing up. Certainly, when you're walking, it's not relaxed; it's working. And then you, when you go for a run, even if it's just some type of easy run, nothing nothing too crazy. Um, it's working now. Maybe you know your niggles to the point where you're not going to run. Potentially a good idea to take some of that load off the tendon, but I'm assuming you're still walking around, right? I'm assuming you're not bedridden because that wouldn't be good. Um, so you're you're still stressing the tendon every time you you walk around anywhere, anytime you do anything, uh, you go up steps, you go down steps, like like it's just it's just it's something that you can't really isolate. I mean, you can with a boot, things like that, but then that can cause other problems. Um, and so it just takes a while to recover. It takes a while to heal. And also I think there, you know, it might be that the Achilles tendon is so stubborn, but also sometimes us runners, myself fully included, are a little bit stubborn slash not uh, the most respectful to our bodies. So, you know, sometimes whether it's an Achilles tendon or not, whether it's you know, various, uh, all kinds of niggles, where there's some warning signs early that we just kind of ignore. Eh, no big deal. Maybe I just need a new pair of shoes or maybe I, yeah, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Like, like I was just a little bit sore after that workout the day before, you know, it'll be fine. And we just kind of run through things instead of maybe continuing to run, but also being a little more proactive on some stretching or some foam rolling or, or whatever, some type of treatment, some type of something that might help resolve the issue. And then it gets worse and worse and worse. So we can't ignore it anymore. And then we're like, why is our Achilles tendon so stubborn? Why were we so stubborn that we didn't take preventative action earlier or at least, you know, reactive action sooner? Why did we let it get to this point? So, so yeah, the Achilles tendon is so stubborn, but I like in truth, that's probably more of a feature than a bug. Like if our Achilles tendons weren't as stubborn, weren't as strong, um, we really wouldn't be able to do what we, we were able to do, not just from a running perspective, but also just from upright ambulation. So um, so yeah, there you go. Hopefully that makes a little bit of sense, Kenton. Hopefully your niggle, your issue, your itis, whatever it is that's, that I'm assuming is going on can resolve itself soon. Stay patient. Um, and, and good luck to you. Hope you're feeling better soon. If you are in fact on the shelf, my friend, but thanks for the question this month. Next question from Diana. Do you have any marathons in central Florida besides Disney that you would recommend to someone as their first marathon? So, um, Diana, good to have you back in the group. I know you were here for a while and you bounced out and, and glad to have you back. Um, this is, this is a tricky question for me to answer because I'm, I'm pretty firm on my stance that I don't recommend marathons or any race for that matter that I haven't run, uh, because I can't speak to it. I can't speak to the experience. I can't speak to, to, to just, you know, like I feel like my recommendation has to be my recommendation. Um, and outside of central Florida, outside of Disney, I don't, I haven't run many races. The only marathon I've run in, in Florida that's not a Disney World marathon is the Celebration Marathon, which, as you know, because I know you live in the area, um, is basically across the street from Disney. Uh, but it's, it is a good race. It is a good race. It's it's obviously much smaller than Disney. It's much smaller than a lot of races. I think there's maybe a couple thousand people, something like that, between the half marathon and the full, both races going on simultaneously. Um, it's a double-looped course for the, for the marathon. So basically, the half marathon, you run one loop around the course. Um, for the marathon, you run almost the whole entire loop first, and then there's a little turnoff and then you get back to the same main loop 
run the loop again, and then you obviously skip that last turn or skip the turn from the first loop, make the turn toward the finish line, finish the race. Um, it's it's a good race. Like I I enjoyed celebration. I enjoyed the marathon. I enjoyed. I, I was the half I ran earlier this year. Um, it, it's it's a fine race. It's a, it's a it's it's low key, which is my style. Um, and and if that's kind of your thing, that could be a great first marathon. You know, I, I feel like sometimes the first the first marathon, um, sometimes people have a tendency to want to go big to maybe do a Disney or or just some type of big city race, whether it's whether it's a, a you know something like New York or Chicago or even just you know just something like you know whatever pick a big city an Atlanta marathon or a Miami marathon or or whatever you know there's a, so many cities have have big races out there where there's 15 20 30,000 people like it's a big deal big city big trip like and if that's your thing you know do that type of thing but if you're looking for a little bit more low key something that that's not a big commitment to travel to celebration is definitely beginner friendly celebration is is very much flat um which you know, flat is good, but it's also you know, sometimes a little bit of undulation would be nice. And there's not a whole lot of undulation there, but it's, it's, it's flat. It's spectator friendly. Um, it's a good environment. The, like the, the, the post-race situation with the food and that type of thing is, is pretty good. Actually, it's really good. Uh, if I may be so bold, it's, it's one of the better post-race situations that I've seen. Um, so yeah, you know, celebration's a good one and it's, it's right here in central Florida. Um, there are other races in Florida, other races in Central Florida even, but I haven't run them, so I have a hard time recommending them. Um, but I, what I would encourage you to do, Diana, and, and anybody, if you, anybody's looking for a race, whether it's in your local area, whether it's something you want to travel to, maybe you're doing a 50-state type of thing. If you're not aware, there are several different websites out there that that basically are, are you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I want to say conglomerate, and I know that that's not the right word. Compilation? Maybe that's the right word. Compilation sites of, of marathons. So you just type in uh, findmymarathons.com is one, and there's a half marathons option there as well. Um, Marathon Guide, I think, is one. I think there's half marathons there as well. Um, and I've got a couple linked up in the show notes for today, but you just type type in state, dates, and it or you you don't have to put in dates necessarily, but you could say, you know, type in just all of all of the marathons in Florida. For your for your reference here, Diana, and you can look at it and go, oh, here's one over the like the Tomoka Marathon, which I know that there's a Tomoka Marathon, not necessarily Central Central Florida East and West, but Central Florida North and South, so maybe that would still still qualify. Um, and you can check out the information on that race. I've never run it, so I can't give a good recommendation on it. Heard good things, but I've never run it. Um, and there's like I said, there's all kinds of of marathons throughout the state, and obviously you can do that with any state. Um, and you can put in dates. So if you're, if you're looking for a race, you know, in, in March, you can just type in March and then it'll show you all the races in the country in March or in your state or whatever. So I would check out those and maybe look and see if, if any of those races might suit your, uh, suit your fancy, but I, I definitely would recommend celebration. I, I enjoyed celebration, um, small, small race feel, um, which for me is, is an asset. I know some people, not so much. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. Uh, but if you have any specific questions on it, let me know. And I think I did a review on the original Celebration Marathon. Like I ran the first one some eight years ago, seven years ago, something like that. Um, there might be a review on the website of that. You're welcome to go check it out. It's it's improved. Like not that the first race was bad, but it's it's improved because, you know, they got more reps under their belt. They've worked some of the kinks out. Uh, pretty good race. Pretty good race. I would definitely recommend the Celebration Marathon or Half Marathon for any locals and you know you're looking for an excuse to come to Florida in late January get out of the winter up north 
Celebration Marathon, not too bad, not too bad. And if you want to do a Disney thing too, but not pay Disney prices for your race, I mean, Disney's literally across the street. So it's, it's, it's right there. Not saying, just saying. Thanks for the question, Diana. Next uh, from Lewis, we got a, we got a batch of questions here. I think two or three from Lewis. First one, serious running related question. In light of the very recent events, what do you think of Shelby Houlihan's ban from competitive, from competition being upheld? I personally think it, personally think it's funny that cheating didn't win this time. Um, I personally think it's funny, Lewis, and I, and I say this tongue firmly in cheek, you know, don't, don't get all upset here. Uh, I personally think it's funny that you keep asking me questions about elite runners and, and professional runners that I could care less about. Um, I have no idea what I I'm assuming that this is the same person that got busted for performance enhancing drugs. And she tried to blame it on eating a, a, a taco from a, from a taco truck, um, before the Olympics. Um, I'm a, I think that's right, but I didn't look it up because I don't care. I literally don't care. I think if she cheated, she should not be able to compete, period. Uh, done. Um, if it's something else, I think if she cheated, she shouldn't be able to compete. Done. Uh, whatever. Um, but I don't care. That said, Lewis, keep asking these questions because someday, someday there's going to be some scandal. There's going to be some news story that I actually have read or have a thought about um, before you ask the question, and I'll be able to speak a little bit more, you know, maybe not... I'll probably never be able to speak eloquently about anything, but I'll at least be able to speak a little bit more informed about what's going on. Instead of going, I don't know. I don't know. But in this case, I, I don't know. And I don't care, quite honestly. Um, but thank you for the serious running related question, Lewis. Uh, now for the non-serious, non-serious. Now for the serious non-running related question. What are you and your family's favorite Memorial Day traditions? Um, so we don't really have any, I don't think. Um you know, in, 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 I don't mean that disparagingly and I, and I don't mean that in a way of, of detracting from the actual reason for Memorial day. Um, for those of you that aren't, you know, listening to this, that aren't here in the States, Memorial day is, is our day. It, it's the last Monday of May, uh, national holiday here to, to, to remember every, uh, uh, military personnel that lost their lives during their time in the military. So during, during war or not even during war necessarily, but who lost their life, uh, during while serving the country militarily. And, um, you know, like I didn't have growing up, um, I didn't really have any close connection to the military. Both of my grandparents were in the military during the world war two times, but they both survived. They, they were both around. Um, and, and as far as I knew them, you know, other than I knew that they were in the, in the service. Uh, but as far as I knew them, like they weren't, you know, active or anything like that. Like they, and they, they weren't super pageantry about their service time. Um, but of course they survived. So it wasn't like Memorial day was a holiday for them. Like they were veterans day was their day, right? Not Memorial day. Um, and there was nobody else in the family, nobody other really close connections that, that, that I knew of, um, that, that had lost their life defending the country. So Memorial day was like, I knew what it was about, but there was, it wasn't like, I mean, it really was more or less the, you know, the kickoff to summer, uh, three day weekend, kind of the last push before the school year gets out, like that type of thing as a kid. Um, and it's changed a little bit since then in, in that, um, one of my, one of my college buddies, one of my fraternity brothers, Charlie was, was killed in Iraq in 2005. Um, so yeah, so Memorial day hits a little bit, hits much closer to home for me now. And, and it's much more meaningful now, but we don't really have any, any favorite t- traditions, you know, in a, in a good, in a good year, I'd go for a run on, on Monday morning for Memorial day to kick off my week. Um, which I probably won't be doing this year because my foot is still a thing, but I, I would go for a run and then get to work. Like I, I'm going to work on, on Memorial day. Uh, it's, it's a work day for me. Um, got things to do, 
got got people to check in on, athletes to check up on. Um, so it, so you know, I it, I don't know that it's a favorite Memorial Day tradition, but it's a work day. Uh, my girls will do something. I don't know if they'll stick around home or if they'll if they'll go to to Disney or I I don't know what they'll do. They'll be off of school. They'll be on summer break. So there's there's that as well. Um, but uh, yeah, we don't really have any family traditions other than it, it does it does I I will take a a minute at some point and uh, think about Chuck and 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 everybody obviously that, that lost their uh that everybody that's lost their life uh serving our country, um, but. But now I've got now I've got a guy, right? A guy that I know, a guy that I that I that I was great friends. Well, maybe not great friends with, but definitely good friends with. Um, and and so it hits a little closer to home now. So so it is it isn't just a holiday that I brush off anymore, or, or that I can kind of uh, mo- mosey on through without thinking about it. Like no no no, I, I'll I'll be thinking about it. And uh, and yeah, so that's not that I have a tradition on Memorial Day, but that's kind of how that's kind of how it shakes out for me. Uh, last funny question. How are those guitar lessons coming along? I mean, you know, like there's no, there's, there's never really been any official lessons, but, but it's coming along, you know, I'm, I'm getting, getting, uh, I feel like I'm still making progress and I'm still dabbling with it. Um, some days I play a fair bit. Some days I don't play at all. Um, but more often than not, I'm, I'm picking it up and, and strumming a few chords or, or playing a, a riff from a song or whatever. Um, I will say I'm better now than I was better. I'm a more apt I'm maybe not still not good at the guitar. It's definitely still not good at the t- guitar, but I'm more apt at being somewhat not terrible at the guitar now than I was a year ago. So, Hey, making progress. We'll keep on keeping on on the progress front, but thank you for the questions, Lewis. Hope, uh, hope things are well for you and keep on keeping on with those five K's my friend. Um, don't know how you do it, but Hey, if it works for you, it works for me. Next couple of questions from Samantha. What injury are you recovering from? Yeah, that's, that is an, a great question, Samantha, because I don't exactly know because I'm that guy who, you know, is injured, who is definitely injured, um, but doesn't go see anybody to get a diagnosis. And, and, and it's not just because I'm stubborn and cheap, although it's, it's, you know, those are not factors to be dismissed. Um, but, but this is where maybe that, that athletic training, sports medicine background that I have is, is, you know, equal parts, you know, pros and cons, because I, I, I know enough to, to kind of know what might be going on. Um, but because I know enough to know what might be going on, I'm like, meh, I don't need to go get it checked out for sure. Uh, I think it's a midfoot sprain. Uh, maybe, maybe some type of tear in the, the tissue, the connective tissue between some metatarsal bones, two and three to be specific, uh, in my foot. Um, I suppose it could be some type of stress related, something, some type of stress reaction, stress fracture, um, I don't think it is, but I don't know for sure. Um, and I don't really care to find out because if it is like, whatever, it'll, it'll resolve itself. I'm not running. I'm probably not off of it as much as I, as I should be in a stress situation, but whatever. Got, got life stuff to do. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's my wheel. It's my, my, my foot, um, somewhere in the midfoot, and it's, it's improving, but not improving as quickly as I would like, but, but what it, what runner has ever been injured or what person in general has ever been injured and like you know what this recovery is going so fast it's wonderful like even if it's flying along we want it to go quicker so you know we're we're getting there i i i think i might be able to run soon but i've kind of thought that for at least the last week and uh i'm definitely not ready to run i mean i'm i'm ready to run my foot is not quite ready to run yet so i'm trying to, to continue to be patient uh, but some type of sprain hopefully some type of sprain in my foot 
Um, not sure how it happened, which is that's that's the the big question mark. Um, but that's that's what I'm dealing with. Uh, next question from Samantha: Why do injuries suck so bad? Coming back from perineal tendonitis, which sidelined me for two of my three half marathons, I'm supposed to run this year. Um, you know, Samantha, this is this is a question that kind of I don't know, like. It seems obvious. Like, why do injuries suck so bad? Well, it sucks because we like to run and we're unable to run, right? When we're injured, we can't run. But the more I thought about your question, the more I, I think that this is this that 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 there's a lot of deeper reasons to that. There's there's a lot of things that running is for most of us. And maybe not all of us tick all of these boxes, but for so many of us, like running running isn't just the fun isn't just the exercise, right? Because if that's all it was, like you're injured, all right, well, then you get on the spin bike, you get on the get in the pool or hit the gym or whatever, and that would be fine. And ask any injured runner, and it's like, ask me, and I'll tell you, like, I mean, it's it's okay, but it's not the same. And that's because I think that that running is, like I said, it's it's one of those things that that cuts in so many facets of our lives. It's it's in a lot of, in a lot of cases, maybe not in every case, but in a lot of cases, it's social connection. It's, it's that social bonds of, of being in the running club or meeting with your running friends, running together, group runs, things like that. Um, it does a lot for mental health, you know, it's, it, whether it, we're talking serious mental health or just like clearing your head, right? Getting your thoughts in order, whatever it is, quieting the voice in your head once in a while. Like, like I mean, Lord knows that that my mental health could use a run right now. Uh, it's emotional health. It's hormonal health. Like like running touch, touches so many, so many areas. And, and some of those things, sure, could be touched by a good spin workout or a good pool workout or whatever. But as runners, like, like when we're not enjoying that workout as much, it's hard to get the same benefits mentally, emotionally, things like that. And certainly not maybe the, the same connective, you know, the social bonds. So I think that's why, why running injury sucks so bad is that it's not just the injury that sucks. It's, it's all the downstream effects that, that impact how, how we're feeling physically, how we're feeling mentally, how we're feeling emotionally, how we're feeling relationally. Um, so yeah, it's my foot that hurts, but it's it's also impacting multiple other areas of my life beyond just my running. Uh, and I think that's why maybe running injuries suck so bad. And and I never really thought about that that much, or at least I don't don't remember ever thinking about the different layers that that running injuries impact. But there's a lot for a lot of us. A lot of us running is intertwined in a lot of aspects of our life. And you and you get injured, you take that running away. Well, then there's a void in a lot of aspects of life. And so, yeah, that's, that's going to suck pretty bad. Um, but hopefully your, your, your tendonitis is feeling better. Um, and you're able to, to get at least one of those half marathons back on the, uh, you know, to, to happen and maybe add another one in the back half of the year to make up for the two that you missed. Um, but last question from Samantha, one more on, on her little trifecta of questions here. What are you currently training for? <laughs> I mean, I'm currently not training if we, if we want to be super technical, um, I mean, I guess I'm riding the bike once in a while, but like, eh, that's, that's, that's even going by the wayside these days. Uh, but I'm really, I don't have any races on the calendar. Um, once I'm, once I'm ready to start running, well, I'm ready to start running again, but once I'm able to be ready to start running again, um, I, I, I am at a point in my running where I don't need a race to be training for. Um, I, you know, it, it's cliche. I'm training for life. Um, but I'm, I'm running because, because I enjoy it because it's good for me mentally. It's good for me physically. It's good for me emotionally. Um, I even do the, the social thing once in a while on a run. So it's good for me to, to maybe have a friend. Um, and so, so, you know, I'm running, whether I'm training for anything or not. I'm, I'm also though, like in the back of my head and realistically, like, like I'm, I'm 
not the kind of guy that makes big plans in case you haven't figured that out before. Um, but you never know when an opportunity might present, right? You never know when a, when a race might jump on the calendar. Uh, I know I'd mentioned before the, the race in, in Vermont in the fall, and that's still a possibility, not anything official yet. No announcements there. Um, so I'm, you know, once I can start running again, I'll be training with the, the idea that that could possibly happen. And if that doesn't happen, then other, what other races are, are, are options? What other, what other races might happen that I don't even know about, but somebody's going to say, Hey, you know, do you want to run this race? Or we put the Ragnar team back together. So, Hey, you know, I need to be in shape to run, run my Ragnar segments. Or, uh, maybe I, you know, somebody signs up to work with me at the concierge level. And they're like, Hey, you know, I, I, I need you to pace me at, at this marathon. So I need to be marathon ready. So like, like it's, it's. I'm, I'm not training for anything specific, but I'm training for the possibility of something specific, I guess. Um, and just, I, I enjoy running, right? So there's, there's that part of it too. So hopefully my foot recovers soon. Hopefully your, your itis recovers soon and we can both get back to training for various things. You, your half marathons and me for, I don't know what, but something, something at some point, but thank you for the questions, lady. Hope things are well for you. Next question from Natasha. I was on vacation and barely ran for two weeks. And when I came back, my average pace was over a minute faster on that first run back, which got me thinking about rest and tapering before a race. Can you talk about what tapering looks like? I understand it in theory, but would you just go on a couple of easy runs? Is there benefit to not running at all the week before? Uh, great question, Natasha. And, and um, I think maybe maybe by accident, I don't know. I mean, you're on vacation, so so it is what it is. But maybe by accident, you just kind of stumbled into why the taper is is... Maybe not, maybe not why, but the worry that so many runners have about tapering is that they're going to lose all this fitness, right? I'm not going to run much for two weeks. I'm going to, I'm going to pull back on my, my mileage. I'm not going to do any hard workouts. Like how how am I going to be ready for my race? Well, as you, as you experienced when you don't run for a couple weeks, you run very hit and miss for a couple weeks, your legs refresh, your body feels good. Your legs recover from all the work that you have been doing. And lo and behold, you come back on that first run and you're flying. And hopefully still feeling like you're running pretty easy. That's what that's what the taper does. It gives your legs that chance to bounce back, to refresh, to rejuvenate after all the wear and tear and pounding and mileage of, of a training cycle. So what what tapering looks like in theory and, and typically in practice, but there's there's a lot of wiggle room when it comes to, to the taper, um, is is cutting back on some of the volume and, and sometimes even on the intensity. Doesn't mean you can't still do a workout in there, but maybe instead of doing whatever, instead of doing six by 800 meters, you know, six half mile repeats, maybe you would only do three or two or four, whatever you do. You do fewer than what you would normally do. Still get some work in, but cut back on the work, you know, instead of your long runs inching up towards, you know, for training for a half marathon, instead of your long runs, maybe inching up into that 11, 12 mile territory. Maybe we do five or six miles or seven miles enough to get out, get a little work done, feel confident that, that, I didn't forget how to run in these last few days, uh, but not enough to, to force your body to need as much time to recover, right? Just get a little bit of work done, but not too much. Um, but, you know, going into, into more detail of like, you know, could you just go on a couple of easy runs? Yeah. Is there benefit to not running at all the week before? I don't know that there's benefit, but there's not, I, I wouldn't say there's detriment. So when, when I, when I look at the taper from a coaching perspective and, and the athletes that I work with, um, a big part of me deciding what the schedule looks like during the taper period is knowing the athletes and, and knowing that many of them, not all of them, but many of them, if I was just like, Hey, don't run for two weeks, 
their mind would, would cause them all kinds of problems. They'd be second guessing themselves. They'd be second guessing me. They'd be, they'd be overthinking things. They'd be, they'd be stressing out about life stuff that they're not able to work out during a run. And so in that week or two weeks leading up to the race after the kind of the, the bulk part of the training is over and we're definitely in taper mode, like the, the runs are more for mental health and, and mental peace than they are for anything physical. So we cut back the volume, we cut back on, on the mileage and make sure that things are nice and easy and we're not pushing too hard, but stick to the normal routine or maybe, maybe adjust the routine slightly, but not, not dramatically, not taking everything off the calendar, pull back on the long runs, get a little extra sleep, take care of your body, make sure the logistics of, if you're traveling, those are all set. Um, but, but I give them enough running to that so that their, their head doesn't get them in trouble. I also give myself enough running before a race to make sure my head doesn't get me in trouble. And that's one of the beauties also of, of embracing running easy for those that have. Um, because if, if you can, if you're trained up for a half marathon or a marathon or whatever distance you're training up for, like you should be able to, your body should, if you're well-trained, you can, you can go out and handle, you know, a few miles at a real easy pace a couple days before, like that's not going to be make or break. Right. Um, but if it keeps your head in the game or keeps your head from getting your, you out of the game, that could be make or break. So, so the taper, it's a balancing act between you don't really need to run at all physically, but you might need to run some, or at least a, a fair bit mentally. So whatever you need mentally during the taper, that's what you need running wise. Um, if you can handle an extra day off or two and not work yourself in a tizzy mentally, that's, that's not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. So like I said, taper, there's, there's, there's a lot of room to make it your own, but less is less is typically more. Um, and, and like you found out when you're on vacation, you're not going to show up at your race and all of a sudden have forgotten how to run or be dramatically slower or things like that. Like your body's going to feel pretty good and you're going to kind of wonder where all this, this speed came from or how it got so easy. And it's because your body's recovered, which is what the taper is all about. So thanks Natasha for the question. Hope that makes a little bit of sense. And, uh, hopefully the next time you have a taper coming up, next time you've got a race coming up, um, you, you'll embrace the taper as opposed to fighting it, which so many runners do. Next question from Ellen with all the context. Here we go. Here's my question I thought about on my run today. I'll set the scene. It was 74 degrees Fahrenheit at start, and it was getting up to 94 by the time the run ended. For Walker and everybody else that speaks Celsius, that would be somewhere in the ballpark of like high 20s at the start, ending up in the in the high 30s Celsius. Rough estimate, but that's pretty close. Uh, back to the question. I had 12 to 14 miles, and I'm a super salty and a super heavy sweater. When my run started to turn into a slog and survival mode, I began walking a lot, much more than I was running. I had plenty of water, you know, with, with electrolytes mixed in, uh, but I didn't take any any extra calories. My brain knows I probably need calories for an effort that's close to three hours, but when I start walking so much, I think I don't need calories because I'm quote unquote just walking. Long-winded way to ask: Should I be taking calories even if I'm walking more than running on a long effort? Um, that's a that is a a. A very thought-provoking question, Ellen. I'll leave it to you to ask a thought-provoking question. Um, and I, I think if you're if you're at the point where you're relatively resigned to it's going to be just mostly a walk the rest of the way, like it's not going to hurt you to take calories. But kind of like like you got yourself into if I'm reading your 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 scenario correctly, like you don't necessarily need them either. Like it's not going to hurt you. you. You know, it's not going to be a problem. 
Um, as long as you're replacing the, the, the water and the electrolytes, which a lot of times the electrolytes also have some calories too, but if it's like a noon or something like that, that has very minimal calories, like that doesn't really count. Um, but you're getting the salt, you're getting the fluids, you're, you're taking care of, of business on that front. You know, the calories when you're, when you're mostly walking at that point, and, and it's not something that you're going to keep doing for, you know, it's not like six more, you know, you don't have five more hours out there. Like you're getting it, you getting it done relatively, you know, in, in, in that two, three hour window. Um, you know, like, again, they're not going to help. Uh, not that they're not going to help. They're not, they're, they're not going to hurt to not take them. You know, it, it might help you to keep the fluids coming in to take some. So that could be an asset there. Uh, but you don't probably need them to fuel the, the effort at that point. The caveat being, if you, if you caught a second wind at some point and started running again, and you were already kind of depleted and low on fuel before, but you, because you were walking, you're just like, oh, screw it. I'm, I'm not going to take any more calories in. Then you might have a lot harder time getting going again because it's going to take, you know, 20, 30 minutes for the calories to work themselves into your system. So, you know, if you think there's a chance that you, that you're going to keep doing some running as you go, or at least going to keep trying to run, you're not, you're not resigning to quote unquote, just walking the rest of the way. You're going to try to slog through it. Um, I would probably keep taking your calories, keep, keep on your, your fueling schedule, maybe adjust it a little bit. If you if your plan is to fuel every, you know, whatever, 30, 40 minutes when you're running and now you're doing a lot more walking, maybe you could stretch that out a little bit. I don't know that you would need to, but maybe that would be a consideration to make sure you had enough fuel to get you to the end. Right. Um, but I feel like this is one of those situations where kind of trust, trust what your body's telling you Take keep taking in the fluids, keep taking in the salts. If you want a little bit of, of calorie, Hey, taking a little bit of calories. Um, if not, or if your stomach's kind of turning against you, which it can do on some hot days, um, no need to force anything. Cause that's just going to make, make an already uncomfortable situation more likely worse. So, uh, trust your body. You can take some more calories in, but if you don't, if you're not feeling it, meh, probably not going to be any worse for the wear. Uh, just going to have to start getting up earlier so you can finish that run at 74 instead of start at 74 and finish it at 94 because that is rough. That is rough. But thanks for the question, Ellen. Um, stay strong. Summer's just beginning. <laughs> Next, we got the trifecta from Tom. As per usual, the, the monthly Tom trifecta. The first question from Tom. As a morning runner, I go to bed pretty early every night usually around 8.30 or 9 p.m. This causes a little family friction because my wife and son stay up later. What time do you usually go to bed? Um, I mean, I'm more or less right there with you. Maybe not quite in that 8.30 range, but I'm, I'm pretty typically in bed in that 9 to 9.30 range, um, kind of moving in that direction by about 9 o'clock, sometimes maybe 9.15, but um, we're usually lights out by, by 9, 9.30. Um, and I guess there's less friction here in my house because Rebecca goes to bed about the same time too. So, um, so yeah, early to bed, early to rise. Um, you know, and that's one of those dynamics with the family that that's, that's awkward because yeah, to get up, to be a morning runner, um, especially as the summertime approaches, like where, where that becomes maybe in some cases, at least more of a necessity to beat the heat. Um, you still got to get good sleep, right? Like, like you can't just be like, well, I'm just going to, going to sleep four hours a night. Like that, there's a few people that works for, but that's the very much the exception, not the rule for most of us. Like you got to get to bed at a decent hour. Um, and depending on what time that means you're getting up and what the rest of your life looks like, like that might mean eight, eight thirty, nine o'clock to get, you know, a solid seven, eight hours of sleep. Um, you know, and I don't know that there's a, there's, there's no good one size fits all answer to, to, to work through that family dynamic. Um, other than, you know, like you, 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 you got to find a way to make it work. That's what family is all about. It's finding a way to make it work. Um, but yeah, early to bed, that's, that's how we work it around here. What's, what's going to be interesting is when we get, you know, a few more years down the road and Addison's not going to bed at, at, uh, 
7 o'clock, 7.30 like she does now. Not that she wants to go to bed that early, but, you know, <laughs> Rebecca and I need at least a little bit of time, kid-free, to, to chill out before we go to bed. Uh, but when, she's, when, when Addison's bedtime gets pushed back to 8, 9 o'clock, whatever, um, will we still go to bed at 9 o'clock right after putting her to bed? Or will we need that time to have adult time, adult conversation, adult staring at our phones while we sit on the couch together um, without the kid involved before we go to bed? So will our, our bedtime change as well? I don't know. I don't know. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But that's like I said, that's that's family dynamics, right? Figuring it out, making it work. Uh, but got to get your sleep. Sleep's important. Uh, so, you know, hopefully, hopefully y'all can find that that balance, Tom. Uh, next question. I have heard that the halfway point of a marathon is really 20 miles based on physical exertion and perception. Do you agree or disagree with this statement? It is similar to saying that the marathon is a 10K race with a 20-mile warm-up. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I agree with the the... the Halfway point of a marathon is 20 mile statement. Um, in that, you know, like if you're, if you're trained halfway well for a marathon and you get to 13 miles, like you shouldn't be feeling too rough yet. Um, and anybody who's run a marathon knows that you get to the end of a marathon. Uh, and if you're pushing the pace at all, you feel pretty rough. And so, you know, I don't know whether it's, there's any science out there that shows the, the exertion point and the perception and things like that as 20 miles is the halfway point. Um, but it does kind of feel like that's, that's not that it starts to go downhill after 20. Well, maybe it starts to go downhill after 20 miles, but it certainly doesn't get easier going downhill after 20 miles. But at least at that point, like, like it starts to become a more manageable chunk. You know, you've been out there for two, three hours already at that point. You maybe have, you know, an hour or less left to go. Um, and even though all the math would dictate that that's not halfway, like it kind of feels like that's about halfway. Like, all right, I just got to grind for another six miles. First 20 are behind me. Maybe the 10K race with a 20 mile warm up might be the, the, a more apt description. But I think, especially for, for those that are newer to the marathon, being able to, to kind of say, hey, look, don't think about 13.1 as halfway. Think about 20 miles as halfway, kind of puts, puts it in a perspective that's maybe a little bit easier to understand. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've said that, I've heard that, I agree with it. Uh, marathons are tough. Marathons are tricky, uh, however you want to slice it up. But but trying to tell me, as a math guy, that 13.1 miles on a marathon course is halfway, like, yeah, but no. No, 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 no. Like, like it might be half in terms of distance, but in terms of half of focus and effort and how it's feeling and things like that, no. Much closer to 20. Much closer to 20 miles would be my, um, you know, not actual, but actual halfway point for a marathon. Last but not least from Tom, uh, for my easy runs, I often go out based on effort and try to ignore my watch. My goal is to run at a nice, easy pace, slow days, slow. My slow pace seems to be faster than it used to be looking at my stats after my run. If my heart rate stays below 150, am I going slow enough? Using another metric, I can hold a conversation with regular senses at this pace. This gets a little confusing for me. Any advice? So um, the fact that parsing things apart here, Tom, the fact that your slow pace seems to be increasing, I mean, that's that's the goal, right? That's that's what we want to see with with whatever type of whether it's heart rate, whether it's effort based, whatever 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 metric you're using, and not just you, Tom, but everybody, of course, whatever metric you're using to run easy, if if you start to notice that the effort level is staying the same, but the pace is getting faster, maybe not markedly faster, but it, but getting faster, that's that's 
that's what happens. Like that's how this whole process works. It takes time. It takes consistency. It takes dedication. Uh, but that's how it works. And that's, that's the sweet spot, right? If, if you used to be feeling like you were running at an eight out of 10 to get to a 10 minute pace, and now you're feeling like you can do, you know, a 10 minute pace at a five out of 10. What does that tell you about what effort you can put forth on race day or how much longer you can maintain that 10 minute pace, you know, during a race or just in training, things like that. So that's, that's what we're going for. Now, you know, when it comes to heart rate, things like that, um, if you've got your zones or your tests or whatever that say that, that 150 is in a, is in an easy state, then Hey, rock on. Sounds like you're good. Um, if, if not, I would check, you know, and, and you're into heart rate training, check that. Uh, but if, you know, if, if you, if your heart rate is in a range that based on whatever protocols you're following says it's easy in the, in the math world that I live in, 150 wouldn't be easy for me. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not easy for you based on your fitness, things like that. So, so just, you know, whatever it's worth, my, my gut reaction below 150 is like, Oh, you need to slow it down even more. But Hey, that's just cause I'm in the math world, right? Like that's, that's not everybody's world. I get it. So, so I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to, to balk too much at that. Just make sure that it's make sure that it's not an arbitrary 150 that you're setting as, as the mark for easy versus hard. But you know, at least if you're going to use heart rate as a reference, Make sure that it's that there's some type of formula, some type of of maximum heart rate tests or things like that that you've done that would say that yeah, 150 is is easy because 150 could be easy. It could be in that gray gray zone where it's not really easy, but it's also not really hard. And you really, my advice is to try to avoid that gray zone as much as possible. Using your metric of being able to, to speak in sentences, that's a good metric. If you can do that, if you can breathe through your nose mostly instead of having to to breathe with your mouth. Um, then those, those are two other good metrics to say that you're probably in that easy zone. So it sounds like you're probably there and, and knowing all the work that you've been doing, um, you know, it wouldn't be a shock that your, your easy pace is getting easy. Keep it up. Keep it up. That's my advice for you. Keep it up. Keep it up. Great job, Tom. And thanks for the questions as always. Second question from Diana. If not, if I'm not running a race when hitting a specific distance, a new distance, does that not count the same? Um, and, and there's a whole bunch of context here of, of, uh, basically saying like, I'm training for my first, uh, half marathon, um, or I'm running it. I'll just read the whole thing. Why don't I just read the whole thing? Diz? Why don't you do that instead of trying to, to translate it through here? So back to the top from Diana. Second question, if not running a race when hitting a specific distance, a new distance, does that not count the same example, real life hitting 13.1 miles in a few weeks? Handful of people are pushing me to find a race now for it or hold off on hitting that distance until I find a race that I want to do it in. You need, they say you need a race, you need a medal, yada, yada, yada. To me, the distance is the goal. It's part of a larger goal of the next distance of, of a marathon distance. Yes, I love a nice medal, but I don't run for medals. I run because I love it. I love who I have become as a runner. Why does hitting your distance in a non-race environment seem not to count for some? How do I respond to this without telling them where to stick their medals? Um, so Diana, I mean, this is one of those that to each their own, right? Like for some people, when it comes to, to, to training for a race, um, or when it comes to a, you know, to a, to a half marathon distance, 13.1 miles, um, like it's a big milestone and it's, it's a big beacon and, and the cherry on top is to do that in a race, right? To some people. It's part of the process. Not that big of a deal. If I do it by myself, if I do it on race day, and especially for you, who's already got your sights set on a marathon distance, like it's just another, another notch in the belt. It's another, another step in that direction. Um, 
So, so I would, I would just, you know, I don't know how I would exactly respond, but, but I don't think that what you're doing is in any way wrong. Like you go out and run your, your first training run. That's 13.1 miles and you do it by yourself out, out in the County or out in the city or whatever. Um, yeah, you got it done. You hit the distance. It absolutely counts the same. Obviously it's not going to have the pomp and circumstance and the medals and this and that and the other of a race day. But if you don't need those things or you don't want those things, then, then you're good then you're good. Um, you know, it's just, it's just all about what matters to you. So, so I think when it comes to, you know, how do you respond? How do you talk to, to runners that are, that are trying to push you in that direction? You just tell them that, that you're not that worried about it, you know, that, that it doesn't matter to you because it doesn't matter to you. And if it matters to them, that's cool. Um, and if at some point you want to run your first official half marathon, meaning that it's a race of half marathon distance, cool. And if not cool, but if you do, You'll have already done 13.1 before, so it won't be as, it potentially won't be as scary, won't be as intimidating. There won't be any uncharted territory because you're like, yeah, been there, done that. I've done it by myself. I can clearly do it with, uh, you know, several thousand people also doing it with me. Um, and it'll still be fun. It'll still be exciting. It just, you know, it's just not something that you need. You don't need to do it as a race. If you want to, cool. If you don't want to, cool. Like you said, you, you run because you love running. That's what matters. Everything else is details. But thank you for the question, Diana. I uh, hope that made sense and, and congratulations preemptively if it's still preemptive on getting to 13.1 miles for the first time. Job well done. Job well done, lady. Next, we got another trifecta of questions this time from East Kentucky. The man, the myth, the, med- the legend himself, Mr. Gary Joe Collins. Slide in. You know, I mentioned earlier, you slide into the DMs with the questions. My man, Gary Joe, doesn't do Facebook. He does do Instagram and Twitter. I get a, I get a DM on Instagram. Hey, can I get some questions in? Absolutely, my brother. So here we go. Gary Joe, these are for you. Uh, first, my upper left leg on the outside is tighter than a banjo string when stretching. You know you know the man's from Kentucky when he mixes in a banjo string reference into his question. Well done, my friend. Uh, is this an overcompensation thing or am I just old AF? Um, yes, and. <laughs> Love you, brother. Um, you know, the, the, if I'm reading in the context of your question correctly, Gary Joe, um, and it sounds like the the left leg is much tighter than the than the right leg. Like I'm assuming that the right side maybe is a little bit tight, but not banjo string tight. Uh, maybe like like you know tissue box uh, guitar tight, that type of tight on the right side. Banjo string on the on the on the left side. Then that then that leads me into the into the the thought process that it's either some type of overcompensation, imbalance, something like that. Maybe you know hips are a little bit out of line. Maybe legs one leg's longer than the other. Both totally normal things that happen all the time, um, but but it's it's causing some type of, of overcompensation or imbalance in the musculature, which then results in that left side being tighter. Um, might be worth paying a little extra attention on the foam roller, little extra things like that, to maybe a little extra stretching as well to try to loosen some things up. Not that they need to be perfectly even from one side to the other, but a dramatic difference, a banjo string versus a, a you know, a... a, a what did I say? A cigar box. I said tissue box before. I meant cigar box. C- cigar box guitar. Um, sorry, cigar cigar box guitar. Can't talk. Cigar box guitar. Still can't talk. But whatever. We're gonna roll with it now. That's got to be more Kentucky than a tissue box guitar, right? It's gotta be. Gotta be. Anyway, uh, you know they don't need to be exactly equal, but getting getting a little bit more balance between the two is probably gonna at least potentially going to help reduce the risk of injury. So it'd be something I'd keep an eye on. If it's not causing you any problems, it wouldn't be like danger critical um, in terms of like you're not hurting, your running is going well, things like that. Um, 
but it could be one of those signs, like we talked about with Kenton earlier, the signs that you ignore with the Achilles. This could be one of those signs that you're ignoring. But the fact that you're noticing it is good. But now what can you do to help mitigate it just a little bit so it doesn't become more of a problem? Uh, maybe a little extra foam rolling, massage, you know, getting on the the, the, the the lacrosse ball or the soccer ball, or not the soccer, the softball, which is not soft, but it works to kind of work into that uh, upper kind of hip glute area, loosen some things up, um, and hopefully get a little more balance between the two, but you're also old. So there's that <laughs> second question from Gary Joe. I know you're a zero drop minimalist shoe guy, but I need something more plush for my flat feet. Any thoughts on drop level for that? Um, I mean, I would still, I would still push towards a zero drop or as close to zero drop as possible. But you remember that zero drop doesn't mean that it's minimalist, right? Um, when you're looking at shoes, the, the, the drop height or the, the, the drop ratio or whatever is the difference between the, the drop at the heel or the amount, basically it's the amount of, of cushioning at the heel and the amount of cushioning at the forefoot. So you can have a lot of times, you're talking about minimalist type of shoes, the type of shoes that I wear, there's zero drop because there's, there's very little cushion anywhere. So there's, there's no difference in the amount of cushion from the front to the back. Um, but you can have other, you know, ultra, which shoe I've worn for years, don't really wear them much anymore, but it's shoe I've worn for years. They've got multiple different shoes that are, are minimal, minimal cushioning to maximal cushioning you know, super thick sold shoes, still zero drop, just thicker amount of cushioning all the way through. So I would encourage you to, to, to play with different amounts of cushioning and different amounts of drop, trying to go lower on both, but ultimately got to do what you got to do. I think the best shoe advice I ever heard before, I believe it was in Jonathan Beverly's book. Um, but it was basically, you know, and forgive me for butchering the, the, the quote, but the sentiment comes through is where, wear the least amount of shoes possible, but you know, wear what you need. So that could be some type of Hoka maximal shoe or ultra maximal shoe or any maximal shoe. It could be some, you know, Brooks shoe that has a, a 12 millimeter heel drop. It could be something that's kind of a medium, medium level of cushioning and maybe a four millimeter heel drop. The closer you can get to flat ground, I theoretically the better, but you got to do what you got to do. So it might be a little bit of trial and error. Um, I, you know, a, a subtle little plug for runningshoesguru.com, a, a website that I do shoe reviews for. Um, I'm not involved with it other than they send me some shoes once in a while to review. Um, but they've got all manner of, of different styles and brands and cuts and, and this and that and the other. And that might be a good place to go look and you say, hey, you know, I've, I've used this shoe before. It, it works. It, it's all right. But I'm kind of looking at maybe something a little bit more low, low profile. You can go there, check them out, check out some of the reviews of similar types of shoes and see if there's something that you might want to try. Um, but also, you know, when it comes to shoes, my, 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 always my gut instinct is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So if what you're using is working, then, then keep on keeping on, you know, don't, don't go looking for trouble because you, you know, a good Kentucky boy, you'll find trouble enough on your own. You don't need to go looking for it by changing up your shoes. If what you're wearing is working. All right. Last but not least from Gary Joe, is there a better post run snack than peanut butter on graham crackers? Asking for my friend named Gary Joe. Um, I mean, coffee, like coffee is always going to be the best snack. Um, but yeah, you know, like, like some good peanut butter on a, on a graham cracker, like, you know, I mean that you can do worse. You can certainly do worse when it comes to post run snacks than that. Um, I'll take a cup of cup of coffee first and foremost. And if you got some good butter to go in it, then now you're really speaking my love language, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn down a, uh, a run 
followed by some peanut butter and, and graham crackers with Gary Joe if I got the opportunity. I, I can guarantee you that. I can guarantee you that. So thank you for the questions, my friend. I uh, hope things are well. Stay, stay, stay safe up there, and uh, we'll talk soon. Next question from Melody. Why does your body stop sweating when you have heat stroke? Interesting, not interesting question. Great question. Um, and to be honest with you, I don't exactly know. I'm not going to pretend like I know this one. I'm not going to. I'm not going to try to get all physiological on you. I do know that one of the the big signs, one of the big, like maybe the biggest reddest warning sign, flashing light that you are danger close to heat stroke, which is a very serious medical condition, medical emergency is that it's hot, you're working out, you should be sweating, and you're not. Your skin is dry, there's no sweat. Um, that means that your body has lost the ability to cool itself. That's that's heat stroke, all right? Why does it happen? I think the gut instinct is to be like, well, clearly you're dehydrated. Well, not no, there's still liquid in your body, okay? Now, you might be dehydrated, but you're not like, you haven't run out of liquid, right? Um, I think, and this is just me thinking, it's, it's somewhat of an educated think, but it's not, it's not me preaching gospel here. But I think it's just a matter of that when you're at the heat stroke territory, you know, when your body temperature is that high and your body's been trying to cool itself because it's, you don't typically just get into heat stroke. Like, like it's a progression. Um, and, and the, the normal attempts of sweating and cooling itself isn't working. Like your body just starts shutting down. Your body just starts shutting down. And one of the systems that gets shut down is that this, the, you know, pumping the blood to the skin and it, it trying to create sweat to, to, uh, to help cool your body. So, you know, I, I don't know that that's entirely why it might have to do with being reduced hydration levels and, and just not having as much liquid in the, in the blood to get to the skin. But I think it's just a, it's just a, your body shutting down. And that's one of those things that's pretty obvious. If you know, you're not sweating anymore. That's pretty, you, you kind of can, can tell that. Um, and so you got to shut it down before your body shuts you down, uh, potentially permanently. So, um, like I said, I don't know for sure, but I, that's, that's my slightly medically trained hypothesis. Um, but if you notice you're not sweating when you're running in the summer, that's a pretty good warning sign that, that your body's not cooling itself anymore. And you might not be into heat stroke territory yet, but you're going to probably be on the way if you don't keep, if you, if you don't shut it down, stop running get your body cool enough because it's not doing its job to cool itself anymore. Something somewhere a system is broken and it needs to be reset and it's not going to reset while you're running. So if you stop sweating while you're running, especially in the summer heat and humidity and or humidity, shut it down, shut it down. All right. Thanks for the question. Melody. I sorry. I don't have a better answer than that. Like a more firm answer, but I think there might be some, some kernels of truth in what I did say. Uh, next question also from Melody. Um, how much water do you drink to stay hydrated in the summer versus in the winter? I see a lot of one size fits all recommendations and I wonder if they're accurate or if you need to adjust based on gender, size, age, physical condition, location, et cetera, et cetera. Um, well, Melody, you know where I stand on one size fits all advice and recommendations. Like, yeah, you know, it gives you, maybe it gives you a starting point. Maybe it gives you a ballpark idea, but tried and true, firm and fast, one size fits all. It doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. Um, for me, you know, living in Florida, where it's basically summer all year, I don't really think that I I waver that much between how much I'm drinking. Um, you know, to stay hydrated, like I, I drink about 60, 60 to seventy ounces of water most days. Um, I drink about fifty ounces of coffee most days. 
um, you know, I might mix in a little bit of, of milk or something like that once in a while. I might mix in, of course, there's there's liquid in various fruits and veg, things like that that I eat. Um, but, you know, as far as like actual liquids daily, like I'm, I'm over 100 ounces between the coffee and the water. Um, and that's winter, you know, winter, spring, summer, and fall. But again, down here, it's kind of all the same. Um, you know, if, if it's hot, it, it, during the summer, if, I, if I'm out for a, a, a longer run, I'll probably drink more during the run and may end up even drinking more that day. But that's kind of like a, not a, not an everyday scenario. That's a, that's a, I was out working hard, working in the yard, a long run, whatever, need to drink more. So I drink more, you kind of drink the thirst on those situations. Um, but, but I think, I think maybe the best recommendation or kind of the, the way to, to make sure that you're, you're taking care of what you need is, is, you know, the, the urine test, the pee test, you know, take it, taking a look when you go to the bathroom, is it, is it mostly light yellow to, to clearish? Then you're okay. You know, if, if, if you look down in the bowl when you're done and you're like, daggum, like who put, who put the, uh, the orange marker in there? That's a pretty good sign that your, your, your urine is that concentrated that you're probably dehydrated. So you need to be pump, pumping some more fluids. Um, you know, and as long as you're kind of keeping an eye on that, especially in the summer, but you know, even year round, I mean, that, that happens. You can be dehydrated any time of year. Um, but, but I just kind of keep an eye on, on the toilet bowl when I'm, when I'm done going to the bathroom and just say, yep, you know, relatively clear, relatively light yellow. Good to go. Good to go. Um, and if it's, if it gets darker, then, you know, just up the fluids a little bit more and, and just kind of try to keep things in balance that way until you kind of find that, that stasis point that you need. Like, which, like I said, for me is, you know, about that two, two, two Nalgene's and then maybe a little bit more of, of water per day, bunch of coffee, mix and match some other fluids here and there. Good to go. Good to go. Um, but definitely not one size fits all. And it's definitely going to, going to vary how active you are time of year, things like that. You know, back to Ellen's question, how much you sweat, that's going to make a difference too. If you sweat a lot more, if somebody sweats more than, than somebody else, they're going to need to replace more fluids than somebody else. And if they don't sweat as much in the wintertime or they're not doing as much in the wintertime, then maybe they can cu- cut back on the water a little bit. Although, you know, unless you go way overboard, your body's pretty good at regulating fluids, you know, on either end, either way, drinking way too much or drinking way too little. So just keep an eye on, on how you're feeling. Keep an eye on maybe the, the, the urine when you go to the bathroom. Keep it in that, that light yellow range. Good to go. Good to go. But thanks for the questions, Melody. I know, I know you struggle in the heat, running in the heat. Uh, but hopefully we can, we can have a, a safe running summer uh, and, and get some of that momentum going for you again as well. Uh, next question, another one from Chris, and a double dipper here. I feel like you've talked about this before, but what's the deal with puffy hands when running? I can shake them out and get things back in line, but is there a way to keep it from happening in the first place? I've been well hydrated and electrolyted. So um, the the times that this has happened to me before are times when I've really let my hands drop. Um, sometimes it's because I've been walking a lot. And so like, I've just got my hands at my sides with, with you know, letting the blood kind of pull down into my hands that way. And also that swinging motion creates some centrifugal force and kind of pulls the blood down. Um, but also sometimes when I've been running and noticed puffy fingers, it's when like, I haven't kind of kept my arms, you know, a, a good bend in, in my elbows where my hands are at least, you know, kind of chest height. You know, if you think about with that, that running position, arms at your sides, elbows bent, kind of hands up, you know, if, it, if my hands are kind of mid chest up towards almost even shoulder height and then swinging back and forth, never had any problems with fingers swelling there. If I get a little lazy, let the hands kind of drop, drop down a little bit not just for a little bit here and there, but like for an extended amount of time where maybe my, my arms, my forearms are a little bit more closer to parallel to the ground, maybe even a little bit lower than that with my hands kind of hanging limply 
fingers pointed down, running that way, get some puffy fingers that way. So um, I think mostly it's a gravity thing, centrifugal force playing a little bit of a part too. Um, you know, if you raise your hands up over the, over your over your your head and wave them around, that's going to help a little bit. But you're not going to do that for you know miles and miles and miles. That is pro tip. It is an effective way to keep the alligators from chasing you during a run. I've done that before, um, which had to have been a sight. Had to have been a sight. Um, but you know, just kind of doing those, some of those types of things to, to, to shake out your hands, to get that blood moving back into your arms and into where, you know, a little bit better vasculature to help send it back to the, to the heart and send it out throughout the body. Um, but, uh, you know, some people I think are just more susceptible to it, to it than others. Maybe it's a circulation issue. Maybe it's a posture issue, but trying to keep those hands up a little bit more when you're running a little bit sharper bend at the elbows might be enough to nip the puffy hands in the bud. Good luck. Good luck. Hope it works out for you. Things you got to remember after 28 months of not running. Like how do, how do I hold my hands so that my hands don't swell? Right. We'll fit. We'll figure this out. We figured out the ankle stuff. We can figure out the puffy hands. All right. Promise. Promise. Next question from Michaela. Uh, what is the benefit of having a plan for a race and how can you make a good one? Most people I know throw their plans out the window before they're even halfway through the race. You know, I, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I, you know, I, I feel like I've said this before, but one of my favorite quotes is from Mike Tyson. It's everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And I feel like that's, that's ap- applicable. Even if the punch is metaphorical, you know, you, you've got your plan on race day and then something happens. You start fast, you start slow. You had to stop to use the bathroom, like whatever it might be. You got your plan for race day and then life happens. You get that meta- metaphorical punch and, and now the plan's useless, right? Um, but not really, not really. I think, I think that, um, having a plan on race day can help give you some, some ballparks and can help make you help prevent you from having to think too much on your feet and make decisions in the moment. You know, sometimes you make some decisions before the race when you're, when you're not in the, that state of fatigue or state of tiredness or state of this sucks and I don't want to do it anymore. And because you've made those plans in advance or had some type of, of plan in place, it's a little bit easier to persevere. It's a little bit easier to get through that rough patch that the longer the race, we, we all know you're more and more likely to have those rough patches. But if you work through them, you're also pretty likely to come through them and to things start to feel better again and you're able to keep going. So sometimes having the plan can help with that. Um, I think that sometimes a problem with a plan is it's too complicated. You know, if you start to have mile splits for every mile or whatever the case might be, like that can be too much. Have a loose plan that has plenty of wiggle room. Um, but, but can just kind of help you stay on track and stay focused during the race. Not for nothing. And not, that this was part of your question, Michaela, but never miss a good opportunity to plug yourself, right? Like if you don't want to have to worry about the plan and adjusting the plan, I can do it for you. Not only as a coach, but also, you know, work with me at the concierge level. I'll come and run next to you. And so something goes sideways. Diz, what do we do now? I just tell you what we'll do now. You know, you don't have to, to think about how to adjust your own plan. I'll be right there with you. I'll be adjusting the plan. That's part of my job. Um, and you just keep, keep on keeping on. So there's that too. Disruns.com slash concierge for those that might be interested. Um, but I do think having a plan is, is, is a good idea, but err on the side of maybe three or four waypoints or check marks or like, you know, at at this point I want to be at about this time. And at this point I want to be at about this time. Um, but be willing to, to color outside the lines because too much of a plan, all it takes is one little thing going sideways. And, and then it's like, what the hell is this plan even for anymore? Um, and then you're, you know, anything else that has to adjust along the way, you're, you're flying, flying blind. And that's not, that's not the ideal situation for sure. 
Chris Short chiming in. Were you able to avoid Premier League spoilers? Are you happy with the results? So can I talk about the results here or or am I going to spoil it for those? Anybody who is still curious about what happened in the in championship Sunday of the Premier League, go ahead and skip forward a little bit because uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about it here. Yes, for the most part, I was able to avoid spoilers. Uh, there were a couple of hints that, that, that I came across as far as, you know, s- trying not to read into things people are saying or headlines or things like that. Um, but you hear some things and, and I actually thought, I'm actually disappointed with the results because I thought based on what I had heard while trying not to hear that maybe just maybe Liverpool had come from behind and passed Manchester City for the title to keep the quadruple alive. Um, and it looked like that was going to be the case for a while. And then, it, and then it wasn't. And that was a bummer. Um, but yeah, I was kind of surprised at how well I was able to avoid the spoilers. Um, uh, for the most part, it, it got through. Um, and I guess I'm happy with the results. Like I'm not like a super diehard Liverpool fan. I really like Jurgen Klopp though. So I, I have a hard time rooting against him. Um, and I'm not even like a super anti Man City fan. It's just like, like it, it would be nice to, to see somebody else win for a change feels like. Um, but you know, Liverpool's had a great year. Still got champions league this weekend. Um, and I mean, gosh, you know, to lose, to lose two of the last four, um, by one point right on the last day, like, Oh, that's tough. As far as happy with the other results, you know, I, I kind of would have liked to seen Burnley stay up, but you know, whatever it is, it is what it is. Um, you know, now I'm just ready for the next season to start. And this is this is that rough time of year when I when I don't have football to watch every day because I have to start listening to more Dave Matthews. So, you know, whatever. Win some, you lose some. Or sometimes you win both. It's just different. Uh, but yeah, I was able to avoid the spoilers for the most part. You know, side, side note was that I didn't do much social media scrolling, which was kind of nice. Like, yeah, maybe I should try to avoid spoilers more often because then I don't get on social media and scroll. And that's a win no matter how you slice it, no matter how you slice it. Uh, next question, another one from Santina. If I'm training for a road race on a, a, a marathon and a trail race at the same time, is it okay to run a lot of the long runs in preparation for both races on the trails or will that somehow hurt me for the road race? Um, I mean, for the most part, yeah, it's it's fine. You know, I think I think running on the trails can be can be maybe a good thing because you can develop some, some habits running on the roads that can hurt you on the trails, namely not picking up your feet, not watching where you're stepping, things like that. Um, I do think it would be good to get a couple long runs on the roads. Um, doesn't have to be every run or anything like that, but just, just, you know, the difference of pounding and the difference of the, the surface, uh, forces on the trail versus the road. Like it would be good to get a, a few long runs on the road to just kind of, as we're building up, um, get used, you know, make sure your body doesn't forget what 13, 15, 18 miles on the road feels like, but do you have to do every ro- long run on the road? Absolutely not. And if you're going to do more on one versus the other, I think more on the trails makes sense, especially if you like it. And if you don't like it, get on the, get on the roads more. But if you're enjoying the time on the trails, keep on keeping on. We'll mix in a little bit of road running here and there for a long run. Um, but you'll be fine. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. I promise you. You'll be fine. Next question. How much is it going to suck to move away from the best running partner ever? Oh, well, I guess we're letting that cat out of the bag, eh? Um, I know I've, t- I've told some folks, uh, so it's not a surprise to everybody, but uh, Bex and I are moving, are moving, assuming, assuming we can get a pretty penny for the house, which is what we think we should be able to get. Um, and if, if the penny is pretty enough, we're, uh, we're selling the house and hitting the road, getting out of Florida. 
Um, and not much that I'll miss except, you know, putting up with Kate flapping her yap on the long runs. Uh, that'll be tough. That'll be tough. That That is, you know, that is going to suck moving away from the best running partner ever. However, you know, let, uh, never let a good opportunity come to come to waste, right? If you're looking to move to Florida, I know a house that's going on the market that's in pretty good shape, brand new roof, things like that. And also, I've got a lead on a really awesome running partner that might be in the market for re- upgrading the partner that she currently has. So let me know. Let me know. We'll make you a deal. A two for one. House and running partner combo. There you go. There you go. I, I'll be out, you know, I'll be out out of luck with no good running partner anymore. Uh, but but Kate will have an upgrade. You'll have a house in Florida. We'll get the pretty penny. You know, that's a win-win-win as far as I'm concerned. So, so yeah, it's going to suck moving away from the best running partner ever. Um, but my loss is your opportunity. If you're interested, let me know. I know a guy. I know a guy selling his house down here in the booming metropolis of Lakeland, Florida. Two questions left. First one from Karen. I've been thinking about getting a handheld water bottle for the summer. I once read that Meb said he didn't run with one because it throws your balance off a little. What is your thoughts on this? And if I was to get one, do you have a recommendation of one you like? Um, Karen, my thoughts on this are going to be relatively blunt. Um, I don't question for a second that for somebody like Meb, that difference of carrying a water bottle on one side or the other could be could be could be a thing, right? Like you're that finely tuned of an athlete, even ten ounces of water um, is gonna has the potential for negative impacts, negative effects. Karen, I love you, but for somebody like myself, somebody like you, who is working towards our running goals, but maybe not quite at the Olympic elite finely tuned specimen level. I mean, I don't think that 10 ounces is that big of a deal or 12 or 12 ounces or 16 ounces. Like whatever, like, like I've run with handhelds before I've run marathons with handhelds before. And I can't tell you that I notice any difference. And here's the thing. If you got one handheld, like the straps tend to be, it's not unisex. I mean, they are unisex, but like, una unilateral, that's the right word. Unilateral. Um, the, the straps are not unilateral. So like you can start out for a mile with it in your right hand and switch to a mile with it in your left hand. And it all kind of balances itself out. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you get one, get one, don't worry about it. Throwing your balance off a little bit. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Um, and again, you can always ping pong back and forth between hands. So you'll be fine there too. Uh, as for, for recommendations, I mean, they're, they're all fine. I have an orange mud one. I have a couple of Nathan's ones. Um, and they work great. They work great. You know, it's just, it's, it's more about how much carrying capacity you want, both in terms of fluids and do you want something with a, with a bigger pouch to, to maybe also hold a phone or keys or things like that. If you don't need extra bells and whistles, you can go, you can go pretty, pretty slim fit on the, on just, you know, a a bottle with a strap. Um, not much extra weight, not much extra bulk, nothing to really stress about fluids right there at, at the, at the ready. Um, I'm a proponent. I'm a proponent. I, I mean, I'm a proponent of a pack. Okay? I carry my, my water on a, on a bottle on my back. Um, but if I, if I'm not going quite that far, but still want to take water with me, handheld all day, every day, no problems on balance for sure. At least for us mortals, you know, if you're not a mortal, maybe, but for us mortals, you'll be fine. Promise. Uh, last but not least from Barb, I was planning on running grandma's marathon in June, but surgery sidelined my training and I know I won't be able to race it. However, there's an option to go virtual. 
I could create my own route looping near home for aid stations. I last ran a training half marathon before surgery in April. And since May, I've been averaging five miles walking a day on my normal running routes. I know that it will be a lot of walking, that it will be slow, but I'm sure I can do it. I should be clear to start running again in June. So if I tackle this, what kind of strategy and factors should I take into account? Um, wow. Uh, first of all, Barb, I'm glad you're feeling well and glad that surgery sounds like it went, went well and hopefully everything's healing well and progressing well. And, and, and the fact that you're even, you know, considering that you can probably do this, like tells me that hopefully things are, are moving in the right direction for you. Um, I mean, I, I think that, that this is one of those where like, don't overthink it. Um, and don't be married to the result. Meaning sounds like you're already right in, in terms of thoughts, in terms of it's going to be slow, going to be a lot of walking, maybe a little bit of running, but mostly walking time on feet, you know, logistically planning it to go around your, by your house multiple times. So you can bathroom, aid station, refrigerators, refilling bottles, things like that. Um, that all makes total sense. Um, I think that, you know, just plan on it. I would say plan on it, taking the better part of the day, if you're going to do it, um, err on the side of shorter loops, not that you need to be like one mile loops, but if you can do like a 5k loop or something like that, where you'll have multiple checkpoints so that you're never that far away. If you feel like I've done too much, I need to stop. You're never that far from home. Um, or at least that you could call somebody to come pick you up. Um, but otherwise just, just keep it slow and, and go, you know? Um, and, it, and again, if you get to a point where it's too much, then, then be willing to, to throw in the towel, right? It's not that it's not that you, you did anything wrong. It's just that, Hey, Maybe it was too much, too quick coming out of surgery and, and you don't want to hurt yourself further, right? You don't want to have any complications for the surgery or just any other new issues that pop up because you're going to, you're going to do this, this virtual option. Um, but I think, I think you're probably right that you can, you can do it. Um, just keep it slow. Keep it, keep it moving. You know, it's kind of, kind of treat it more like an ultra than, than like a, a marathon itself, which sometimes sounds a little bit ridiculous, but like that, that thought process for an ultra in case you haven't done one before is just, just keep mo- moving forward. You know, sometimes it might be a little bit of a run. Sometimes it's a little bit of a shuffle. Sometimes it's a walk, whatever. But as long as you're moving forward, you're moving in the right direction. We're good. We're good. Um, you know, stop when you need to take a break when you need to all good. You got all day, get it done, get it done. Hope it, hope things continue to progress like they have been. You're able to do it and then it goes well. Um, but don't overthink it. Don't overcomplicate it. Get some friends to come walk segments with you. That can help pass the time a little bit. Um, and just have fun out there. All right. Hope that was helpful. Um, well, that's that. That's all the questions for this month. Y'all, thanks for, for chiming in. Um, like I said at the beginning, Facebook group is where the questions tend to come from, although Gary Joe slid into the DMs on, on Instagram as well. Um, but if you haven't joined the Facebook group yet, come join the party. Dizruns.com slash Facebook. If you thought about something that I, that I said today that didn't sit right or you want more clarification on or I was downright wrong and you want to tell me so, at Dizruns on Twitter, at Dizruns on Instagram. You can also email to Dizruns at gmail.com. And as per usual, the blog post for today's episode has a few, a few memes and gifs. If you want to go check that out, Dizruns.com slash 1051, Dizruns.com slash 1051. Links, few links, mostly memes and gifs and Tom Fuller. And of course, it's that comment section down at the bottom. Feel free to chime in on anything from today's episode there as well. Again, disruns.com slash Facebook, or just search for the Disruns tribe on Facebook. The next time you're over there, we'll let you in. Come join the party. Ask some questions next month. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Look at me. Less than an hour and a half. Not too bad. Not too bad. Thanks for the questions. Thanks for the time and attention. Hope it was helpful. Hope it was useful. Hope it was at least mildly entertaining. And until next time, y'all be well. Take good care. Thanks again for listening. And we'll talk soon, right?
，你哋有